Michael, thanks for joining us this morning. And the phone lines are wide open for you. one 332 8255 We're just going to open up the phones. We'll talk about whatever you want to talk about. And there are a lot of different topics that we've weighed in on over the last couple of weeks. But just the number of things going on as we speak the Saskatchewan Teachers Federation is holding a news conference. It's a virtual conference, so our newsroom is participating. Uh, they've got a few questions lined up, basically finding out, are we going to have more strike action? Will we see the return of rotating strikes after this February break is over? And we'll keep you posted on that, and we'll get you those answers. Maybe you want to talk about teacher bargaining. one 332 Amanda was quick on the gun from Saskatoon. Thanks for calling in, Amanda. What is your thought when it comes to the situation we have with teachers and education in the province right now? Well, you know, I've only been listening to the situation for the last, you know, few weeks, trying to gather as much information as I can. I'm not a teacher. Um, I don't have, you know, kids, but I, I've got friends who've got kids, you know, in school, and I definitely remember what it was like being uh, being a kid back in the 90s, you know, smaller classes. I'm originally from Ontario. Um, and so one of the things I've been, I've sort of picked out is that, you know, there was this initial day where everyone went in for negotiation and the teachers just walked out, right? And I thought it was absolutely ridiculous and silly because, and the only example, like the only thing I can sort of give an example to is that is when I was a kid. And when I was a kid, like, when I was six, my parents had a set of rules, right? They're the government. I'm the teacher. They're the government. They had a set of rules. And those set of rules worked when I was six. But then I got to the age of about 12, 13. Those rules don't work anymore. So it was my job, go to the parents and say, hey, here's, uh, here's the rules you've set in place. Here's the, here's the amount of money that I'm getting or whatnot. And, uh, well, it doesn't exactly work for me anymore. Um, here's the problems it's causing me. Here's what I want to see. And here's how much it might cost you. And I'm not hearing that from the teachers. I'm not hearing a proposed plan or a proposed budget. Like, these guys are educators. They went to school for critical thinking. They went to school for planning. They went to school, uh, you know, for uh, budget crunching and how to crunch numbers. That way they could teach our kids to do all of that. And yet all it sounds like is that they're just going to the government and they're complaining and they're whinging. And I get it. Like, there are issues and there are problems, but they're the ones who are working in the trenches. They see the overcrowded classrooms. They see the complexities. They see all the kids coming in from different countries who speak different languages. We're now identifying more um, learning disabilities with kids when it comes to severe ADHD, dyslexia, and uh, ASD, right? And we need people with those special skills to be able to have that one-on-one special time with those students or to have smaller classes where teachers can still give that special time to those students as well as all the other kids in the class. So Amanda, and, when I've had so, Samantha Beacott on, who's the president of the STF, she talked about the fact that they did go to the bargaining table with some proposals, and I, I've asked her this question on air a couple of times, like give us some examples of how this can be handled. She talked a little bit about student-teacher ratios, uh, talked a little bit about some flexibility within schools and school divisions, but you know, no specifics. And I think that's what you're getting at is you want to hear some hard and fast specific ways in which this problem could be handled and how that could be brought into bargaining. Am I right? Exactly. Exactly. Like you, you can be as general as you want, but when it comes to negotiation 
and and I have a job where you know working as a negotiator is is like a daily thing. You know, convincing people what the right thing is, how to go about it, what can you do, what can I do, what can we do, and you can't generalize. You have to be very specific about what you want, what they want. Like, stop beating around. The freaking bush. Okay. okay. Well, I like the way you put it. And the other thing I like, Amanda, is I like the fact that you said right up front, I'm not a teacher. I don't have children in the school, but I do live in the province and I am invested in trying to find a solution to this problem that seems to be bubbling and bubbling and no one's taking it off to let it simmer. It just, it, it's not going away. In fact, I was on, I noticed on Twitter, Jeremy Cockerell yesterday posted a picture of basically, it looks like just a vacant room, some chairs at a table. And he basically says, our team is at the table ready to bargain. The teachers union won't come to the table and has already said there will be more job action when classes resume next week. Teachers and students should be in the classroom. The teachers union should be at the bargaining table. That's what the Minister of Education has posted online. You can imagine uh, there's a lot of comments that follow that as well. And I've already mentioned the STF. The STF was basically set up doing regular news conferences. They did one yesterday morning where they talked about the support that they have around Canada from other provincial teachers' federations. Today they're talking about basically violence in the classroom. You can bet there's going to be another news conference tomorrow morning. At some point, I'm guessing we will hear about what the next job action is. Do you, th- maybe, do you think arbitration is where, where they need to go? It's open lines. It's more than happy to chat about teachers if you want. one 332 8255 Some people questioning whether or not that picture Jeremy Cockrell posted was an actual picture or stock photo. It's tough to say, I guess, but ultimately his point his point was, here's where we would be sitting if we were at the bargaining table, but no one is there. And of course, both sides are pointing across the table at one another, saying it's not us, it's them, accusing one another of leaving the bargaining table. one 8255 I think arbitration is the only way this is going to get settled quickly. Now, maybe both sides don't care. If it gets settled quickly, some would say that the government is not in a rush. We've talked about the fact every day the teachers strike, every day we have a full day teacher strike in the province. It saves the province about six million bucks, six million dollars in the pockets of the province. By the way, a 1% pay raise at the bargaining table is worth about six million bucks. Now, as as Samantha Beacott has said, you would hope that their strategy isn't to let the teachers strike in order to pay for their own pay raise. And, I mean, the teachers' pockets are only so deep. I mean, I know they would have a war chest with money in it, but this is costing them a lot of money to be on strike day after day, which is probably some of the theory in the rotating strikes. doesn't take as much. You still get your, your point across, but it, it doesn't cost your whole budget all at once. But arbitration, is this where we need to go? I, I feel like this is the only way we're going to get a resolve here. But both sides have to agree to it, which is a big thing to let go of, control, to say we agree to go to a third-party person who's going to ultimately make the decision. 
That's a big thing to do, and especially for the government. I can't see them wanting to do that. And for the for the teachers who are saying their hill to die on is getting classroom complexity into this agreement, going to an arbitrator who will make a decision, yay or nay. I mean, it's it it's throwing a lot up in the wind and hoping that a person who's a third party listens to both sides and ultimately comes down and agrees with you. One eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. Happy to see your calls and texts on this issue. A lot of people are are weighing in on the text line, basically saying that they feel as though there's a plan in place. Rolly and Turtleford says the STF and the NDP have a plan to keep this situation unresolved to make the SAS party look bad for the upcoming election. Kids and teachers are being used as pawns, says Rolly. Ross. From Saskatoon said, Amanda is 100% on with her comments. The STF needs to put something on the table that is a solution. And I think, you know, I I think that's the problem. And this is where I, I struggle all the time. You've heard me say I don't think classroom complexity belongs in the collective agree- agreement, partly because I don't even know how you capture it in a collective agreement. In one agreement for an entire prov- province, where the complexity issue looks different literally from school to school. So how do you have one set of rules that can that can handle this? And you know, my take on it was, and I talked about this, I was I was proudly talking about the fact, look, this is what the province needs to do. They need to come up with an MOU they can take to the teachers. They guarantee $53 million or whatever the number is going to be in spending on classroom complexity. It can be contained in the collective agreement, but doesn't spell out exactly how it's done. That can be worked out with school divisions. And the province did it. And the teacher said no. So now I'm, I'm kind of back to square one. <laughs> That's my, that was my suggestion. It didn't work. So now what? One eight seven seven three three two. 8255. Lots of people weighing in on the teachers. Uh, the, te- the text line here is rolling with teacher comments. If teachers are serious about their demands, why are they not out picketing this week? Says Doug in North Battleford. Doesn't affect the students and still gets their point across. Mm-hmm. Interesting. A few people have raised that one. one 332 8255 Let's go to Chelsea in Saskatoon. Thanks for calling in. What, what's your take on this, Chelsea, this whole battle that's going on between the province and the teachers? Hey, Evan, thanks. Yeah, I've just been following um, a fair amount here the last few weeks, and thank you for all your coverage of it. I think it's been really insightful and educational. I do think one area the government could do a bit better with their PR and communication to the general public is just articulating a little bit more clearly why they don't want it in a collective bargaining agreement, which is essentially an employee contract things like class size and complexity. Mm -hmm. Just like you made the point a few weeks ago about arbitration being like handing over the purse strings, when we put things like these um, funding and all of these kind of programming into a CBA, which is an employee agreement, you know, think about your employment offer, um, we are giving the purse strings to the teachers. And we do have elected officials um, at our, you know, school boards, which I think, you know, we've usurped a little bit of control on the mill rate in 2009. But at the same time, you know, we do have mechanisms to control those taxpayer dollars, which are public funds, and they don't have a place in an employee contract where you should be talking about wages and, you know, hours of work, et cetera. So I think the government could do a little bit better at communicating, you know, why we don't want to put class complexity dollars 
tied to a CBA. But like you said, have things outside of that. And absolutely thank you to the teachers for bringing this and continuing to bring this to the forefront, um, that it is really important. And I totally agree that it's important. I have four kids in the school system. And it is important to address it, but it doesn't have a place in the CBA. And I think the government could articulate that a little bit better. And I think they're 53 million bucks and the pilot project is a really good start. And yeah, we do need to hold them accountable to delivering on that. But there are a lot of things that tax literally the taxpayer dollar. Um, so we have a lot of competing interests in our province and we can't, it's a slippery slope to start putting these things in employee contracts and um, CBA. Some people have, have referred to it as the tail wagging the dog, right? I mean, at the end of the day, uh, the union contracts need to include benefits for its members. Uh, to a degree, there there can be some working condition issues addressed through it. But when it comes to the operation of the business, and, I, and I've equated this to my policing world as well, I mean, we, we often would say, look, I mean, we can build a committee where the, the association or the union has input into decisions that are made. We can agree to that at the bargaining table. But most times, employers aren't going to give up complete control over day-to-day operational decisions and, and weave it into a collective agreement. Chelsea's, Chelsea's points are, are bang on there. One eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. Okay, Jason, I see you waiting on the phone. I'm going to be coming to you next. We need to take a break, but when we come back, more on open lines. The topic right now is teachers, but we can easily shift that as well. We're going to stick on the topic of teachers. When we come back, Jason, you're up on nine eighty CJME and six fifty CKOM. You're the one that decides what we talk about this hour. It's open lines for you at one 332 8255 So far, teachers has been the topic, and Jason in Saskatoon is waiting patiently. What's your thought on the teacher strike and this whole teacher negotiation challenge that we've got in the province? Yeah, I think uh, I think a lot of taxpayers now um, are kind of holding the teachers and teachers' unions and school boards people are accountable. We're not open to writing blank checks. Everybody's being the bench with inflation these days. And I think parents remember the, the troubles with COVID and then the undermining of uh, sexual education, uh, parents' rights. So yeah, all those go hand in hand. And I think the general public, except the parents, they're like, not open to writing blank checks. We want some accountability and, you know, and, and wrapping that up in the CBA is not going to cover that. So yeah, maybe a pilot project is the best way to go and having money set aside for it. And then be able to see the metrics accounted, accounted for. Jason's point is, uh, especially with cost of living the way it is right now, times are tight. People are noticing the pinch more than ever, which is probably a good point, Jason, as to why the public watches so closely, because ultimately the decisions made at the bargaining table will have an implication to you and I. It all gets wrapped up in, in taxes and overall uh, the cost of living in our province. And, and so... You know, I think I think there is something to be said there that perhaps today, in 2024, we pay more attention to these types of things than we would have even a decade ago, knowing that we're counting our pennies a lot closer. one 332 Ian in Saskatoon is waiting on the line. You got some thoughts on this teacher strike, Ian? Oops, I got you there now. Ian, sorry about that. What are your thoughts on the teacher strike? When I was listening to some of your callers, uh, well, and yourself, um, my first thought was it's pretty dang rich of the school boards to uh, 
now they pop their head up out of the gopher hole after all this has been going on. I know they've had their funding, their taxing abilities taken away, but they haven't been fighting for it that I can hear. So, you know, now they come out and they say, well, yeah, well, it shouldn't be in the collective agreement. We agree with the government. Well, if if you want, if that's their point, and I, I actually agree with it, but we need this. We need this service, whether it's in the collective agreement or whether it's in a separate agreement with the school boards directly. They need to be the ones coming up and saying, "Okay, I don't. We don't want a memorandum of understanding. Sign the damn thing. Give us the fifty-three million dollars, because every teacher would would report." In their day-to-day, they would be reporting to their principal. Their principal would be reporting higher up. And it should be the school boards and the school divisions that are fighting for this because they know theoretically in their monthly reports or whatever what the issues are in their divisions. And they're the ones who should be telling the government, give us the money, not the teachers. It's, you know, it's, it's an interesting point, Ian, because tomorrow morning I have the president of the Saskatchewan School Boards Association, Jamie Smith-Windsor, will be joining me. Uh, they have, up until just this last week, you're absolutely right, they have basically said nothing. And when called for a comment, they've said, well, we can't comment on bargaining because we're involved at the bargaining table, which I understand that. I understand that they can't comment on actual bargaining issues. I have, though, been critical of, you know, let's just talk about some of the complexities that you see in the province and what are the ways to address them. So it's to me, it's it's a must do. We have to deal with this complexity issue somehow. The school boards have a role to play in it. So tomorrow morning, 8.36, Jamie Smith-Windsor is the president of the Saskatchewan School Boards Association. And finally, we've got her joining us on the show. So that'll be an important part of the conversation. And really, I think just a bigger part of this whole conversation on teachers, negotiations, and some of the education challenges that we see in the province. We are continuing with open lines right until 11 o'clock. And of course, that's when we shift into Saskatchewan's smartest radio listeners. So the calls don't have to stop at 11, but what we're asking of you does. Right now, we're asking you to tell us what you want to talk about. Open Lines is for you, and the number and the text line remains open for the next half of an hour. We're going to take another quick break, but when we come back, more discussions right here on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. Wednesday morning and open phone lines, one 332 8255 So far, it's basically dominated by teachers and education and teachers bargaining. And a couple of people on the text line pushing back a little bit on a couple of comments I made, which I think is 100% fair game. Shar in Regina says, teachers said no to the memorandum of understanding because government can cancel it within 12 months notice, which is absolutely right. Either side uh, and it's written right in here in the proposed MOU that either side could cancel it with 12 months notice. You know, my my only point on that is that's pretty common in an MOU. Typically in a contract, which would, you know, span over a course of three or four years, everything in the contract is good for the duration of the contract. If you want to trial something, and we used to use MOUs all the time, if it was a new shift pattern, uh, if we were trying something different, we would agree with the union, okay, we're going to try this, but either at the end of a year, we'll, it's done unless we want to bargain it in, or either side can cancel it after 12 months. And that's, that's the writing that's written in here. So 
you know, I think some people had raised some eyebrows that that was in there, but I, but I think that's pretty standard in in an MOU. Zodi in Saskatoon said, how would classroom size and complexity be included in a collective agreement? Well, why don't we just look? BC, PEI, Quebec, they all have it in their collective agreement. Also, why shouldn't working conditions, which this is, be in a CBA? And I'd thrown that out as, I believe this classroom complexity issue has to be dealt with. It's a big issue. Our students are suffering. Our children are suffering. It's hard on the teachers. It has to be dealt with. My criticism of putting it in the collective agreement is the fact that it's a big province and these issues sometimes can't be a one-size-fits-all thing. And so if the funding, if there could be a guarantee in the collective agreement that it's going to be addressed, but the details of how it's done is outside of the agreement, it allows flexibility for school divisions to take that money and customize basically a solution that works best for their school and their school division. So, uh, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, we're all doing the same thing. We're all speculating on on what the right decision might be, which is why I'm always so happy to hear from people. one 332 8255 Les in Corning is on the line, and you're changing the topic for us, Les. You want to talk about that Trans Mountain Pipeline. Yes, I do, uh, Evan. Um, I'm hearing now Scoop Canada was on YouTube uh, a couple of days ago, and they're hearing that uh, Trudeau... And Stephen Gibault, lovely man there, um, is going to cancel possibly the remaining little bit of that $35 billion pipeline, all in the name of climate change. And they're trying to get the water where these pipelines are heading. And this is including our natural gas one that's already out there that went to the coast. Um, they're trying to get those waters that the ships won't be able to come in being their sacred waters or something. I don't know. Hmm. So uh, you heard that they're actually thinking about canceling this pipeline? Yes. yes. See, I, I haven't read that less. What I mean, what I do know is that they are trying to, number one, uh, do some profit sharing with First Nations in Canada. They've talked about that. And I think First Nations are getting a bit frustrated saying, you've been promising this for a while. This project isn't completed. When does this start to happen? And they, then the other thing that I, that I've read very recently is that once they, once it starts flowing, once the pipeline is operational, the value of the pipeline goes up, and then the prime minister is interested in, in selling off the remaining shares of that. He thinks that would be good for for him politically, I guess, going into an election. But I hadn't heard that he was thinking about canceling it. Yes, uh, well, all in the name of reconciliation with the natives, that he may just turn it over to the natives and let them finish the pipeline well i mean so at the end of the day i think they've been pretty upfront about the fact that they do this see this as a way to share revenue with first nation people but it's been delayed we know now they're having they're at a at a point where they've actually got to change the path of the pipeline which is adding more and you pointed it out less i mean i think it's at 35 billion dollars now billions over what they had estimated and there's no no sign of stopping but I hadn't heard though that it was going to be canceled. So, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not sure on that, but no doubt that this will be used as a political play, no matter, no matter where it ends up. one 332 8255 Let's go to Tim in Saskatoon. You're bringing us back to the teachers. Tim, what's your thoughts? Well, just a few facts I'd like to maybe bring up for first, Evan. 
like in the last five, six years, there's been 15,000 uh, student increase. Right. And there's 10 teachers in, uh, increased in that, was, in that time. So you can imagine the size of the classrooms, how much they've inflated. Um, this per student funding, we used to be first in Canada. Now we're eighth in Canada. And I think that's one of the criticisms, and, and I've, I've seen this played out a few times in news stories, is what the province is using to measure education funding is per capita, so per person, as opposed to per student, which is where I think everywhere else in Canada uses as a measure. So that, that might be a, a yardstick problem in what we're using in the province. Well, for sure, for sure, because it used to always be per student. I was a principal of the school, and that's how it worked. Uh, but I think it's important that we do have guidelines as far as, let's say, class size in order to force the government to increase funding throughout the year. And I'm going to just give you a scenario, if, I, if you don't mind. Sure. Okay. So I don't have these numbers from STF or anything like that. But let's just say 20 students from K to 2 and 25 students from grade 3 to 6, uh, 30 students from grade 7 to 9, and 35 students from 10 plus with maybe a 15% uh, a leeway one way or the other. So if you have 20 students in the class and let's say two or three students come in during the year, you could go up to 23 students before something else had to be done. Now that could be adding an EA if it gets higher than that, or if it gets to a bigger number, maybe breaking the class down into two classes. I used to work in a school division that had a policy of kindergarten students. Anything over 25, there was an EA that was, was set in to assist the teacher. And anything that went up to 30 was automatically forced to go into two classrooms. But by giving money to the divisions, uh, the government doesn't look at the enrollment that increases throughout the year or, and aren't right. forced into that. Like, you listen to each, almost every school division in the last little while, they've had had cuts. They put, they've added uh, monies for student supervision that they charge parents and stuff like that. So the school divisions are struggling, and I don't understand why the school divisions aren't more supportive of teachers. I understand that because they're on the government side of negotiation, but really, we're doing the school divisions uh, work for them. Well, that's exactly the conversation I had with STF President Samantha Beacott. I even said to her one morning when we were chatting, I said, it feels to me like you're bargaining as much for educational assistance and school boards as you are for teachers. And, you know, I mean, I think the, the reality is what we heard from from Samantha Beacott is ultimately they feel like they're bargaining for students. They feel like they're bargaining for safe uh, an effective classroom and learning environments. And so whatever that needs to look like, but it'll be interesting. I mentioned, I've got the president of the Saskatchewan school boards association, uh, Jamie Smith Windsor joining me tomorrow morning. So uh, that will be part of the discussion that we have there. All right, let's uh, pop to Ron in Saskatoon. Thanks for calling in, Ron. You're uh, on this teacher strike issue as well. What are your thoughts? Thanks, Evan. I'm just, the thing I have the issue with is the, the way they're approaching it, the teachers, um, they experience in the classroom, absolutely. They have um, face-to-face with students. They have the issue. But the STF has a responsibility as well, before they bring it to the table, to develop a solution that um, through action research or whatever and work with the school divisions prior to negotiating a contract to have 
to have their locally developed solutions, these things, so that when the government's issuing their annual budget, they can ask for money to accommodate it. I don't understand why they don't do that, because like you mentioned, this problem is, is exists, but it's different. It's a huge province, a lot of social, economic, geographic diversity, and so the, the solution is not simple. It has to be addressed, but the STF is not being accountable in their role. They're not a union. They're a professional association in helping their professionals develop a locally developed solution in real time through action research or whatever means they, they choose to do so. You know, when we when we look at how this has been handled in other provinces, because we can point to other provinces where classroom complexity is in the in the collective agreement, it's tough to point to one province that has hit the nail on the head and got it right. In fact, even when we talked with the Canadian Teachers Federation president, it was tough to say, where is it working best? And And I think that's part of the challenge. You know, Ron's point about diversity in schools, whether it's it's the community that it's in or the, you know, the economy of, of the community that it's in, uh, the, the you know, the makeup of the students that are there, even in, in a city like Saskatoon or Regina, um, in, in various communities, if you have more than one school, you can have different classroom complexity challenges. So, you know, how do you find a way to put some guidelines in uh, without overstepping what that ultimately is going to do and try in terms of trying to solve that that problem or that challenge daily. All right, we're going to take one more break. I've still got Ari waiting on the line. We've got lots of texts coming in as well. It's open lines at one eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. More with your calls, your texts, and your thoughts when we come back on six fifty CKOM and nine eighty CJME. Open lines means open phones, open texts for you at one 332 8255 We've talked a lot about the teachers, and we're hearing from teachers. Kelsey in Saskatoon, as an example, uh, has texted in before, talking about the fact that it is not easy. She's a teacher in her 15th year. She says in her text, last year was the hardest year yet. She actually had a conversation with a 30-year veteran teacher. How have they lasted this long? And the reply was, it's getting more difficult every year. And I'm lucky to be close to retirement. It's uh, it's a tough time. I can read it and feel it in the text that we get from teachers. A lot of them are contemplating getting out of the job and moving on, which is not helpful in this discussion either. I, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up Rick from Rolo. Rick says, here's the solution. Lock them out and get to the table. If you lock them out, teachers will make sure the STF is at the table and taxpayers will make sure the government is at the table. That way, there's no more squabbling over who left the table, who's at the table, pictures of vacant tables. Rick says, lock them out, get to the table, get her done. one 332 Ari is on the line from Saskatoon. Thanks for calling in. What's on your mind today? Evan, we need change, and I'm across the board, and I think the best place to start is at our government, municipal and then provincial. I would like to see term limits. Okay. I would like to see every, I'm going to say municipal because that's sort of my biggest concern. I'd like to see anybody running for city council in Saskatoon to advocate for a three term limit. 12 years max. That's it. That's all you get. The first term is to figure out what the job is. The second term is to figure out what the plan is. The third term is to execute it. And then you get a refresh. You get new people in 
And it would have to be staggered. You wouldn't, gonna, wouldn't want course. to do a clean slate every yep. election. But the first four in the first election, then the next four in the next election, and so that every four years you're getting four new people representing people in the city. And it, it doesn't leave it to the power of the incumbent because there's always going to be a change. So the flip side of that, Ari, is, and I'm just thinking this out as you're talking about it, but do do you worry about the loss of corporate memory, uh, you know, some of the history that some people might have if they're lo- there longer than that? I think the reality of corporate memory is it doesn't exist with the counselors. The corporate memory exists on the administration and the support teams, yep. and that's always going to be there. The counselors shouldn't be involved in corporate memory anyways. Their vision, they're people who direct it, and that's the problem we have with Saskatoon City Council. They don't direct the administration to create a vision. They just get in the muck, and they do things, and they try to have their own pet projects and their own agendas, rather than saying, okay, we want to be fiscally responsible, find a way to save me $4 million and leave that to admit. We find we want to find a way to do that. These are my principles. Let me get my hands out of the pie and supervise you and let you do the job that we hired those professional administrators to do. Do you think this translates this discussion into provincial politics too? Absolutely. <laughs> I think we have, I mean, it's harder in provincial politics because you don't really get to know the workings as much as you do municipal. Like there's no excuse for people not being involved in municipal politics. There's no excuse because that's the one that affects your pocketbook the most, right? That's the one that's your your municipal taxes. That's the one that's your actual city roads and your city bridges and your snow clearing. But people are so disengaged that, I mean, what was the last election in Saskatoon? 30-some percent? Right. It's obscene. Lower than that in Regina. I think it was closer to just over 20%. So that means 70% of the people just don't care. And what does that say? Yeah, it's the apathy is is not good for sure. It's an interesting concept. I mean, it does exist in some places. I mean, I'm not comparing a city councillor to the president of the United States, but they have term limits in some political circles, and it, no doubt it would it would bring in some fresh fresh ideas, fresh concepts, fresh people uh, to the organization. And I appreciate uh, Ari calling in and bringing it up. That's what Open Lines is all about. One eight seven seven three three two. 8255. Without a doubt, teachers monopolize the conversation today. Uh, a lot of people are, are weighing in. Craig and Regina, the STF and the government are literally trying to play with students and teachers' stress level. I'm appalled at both sides, says Craig. The STF now wants to take away sports and extracurricular, which are purely voluntary on the teachers and student athletes, and they use it as a way to deal with stress in their lives. Teacher volunteer their time to give back to students. Teachers do not get paid for this, so there's no way the STF should be able to pull the hours and time from these students and their programs. But, really, the government doesn't care about that because none of those actions hurt the government. So Craig's just basically saying, can we just get to the table and get an agreement? This seems a bit childish in reality. Appreciate everyone weighing in. On the topics of the day, one eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. That number was your ticket to get in and talk in the open lines. It's the same number that you need to show how smart you are, because Saskatchewan's smartest radio listener is coming up next. Is it you? It was Oren last week. We'll be talking with him today, and Oren Karens will be sharing this week's question. Let's find out who Saskatchewan's smartest radio listener is coming up next on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME.